0: Welcome to the History of North America. I'm Mark Vinette. In this special crossover episode, join me and Steve Guerra of History of the Papacy Podcast as we turn back the clock to 1494 and examine the Treaty of Tordesillas, sanctioned by Pope Julius II, which divided newly explored territories, including North America, between Portugal and Spain. I hope you enjoy part two of this discussion. It's now the eve of 1494. Spain has entered the discovery game. Portugal has been there for a while. And now both countries who are competing
1: want to sort things out. What is a papal bull? A papal bull is a really important document in the Middle Ages. A papal bull is an official declaration by the Pope. Bull comes from a Latin word bulla, which refers to the official leaden seal placed on the document. Bulls were issued for all sorts of things and were really quite common up until the last hundred years or so. But when the Pope issued a bull, that was serious. A bull was serious business. Could you
0: compare it to an executive order by the President of the United States?
1: that plus so that temporal action but there's also usually a spiritual action involved with that as well so if you don't follow a papal bull you could get excommunicated for it so it's like a presidential executive order plus so your
0: soul was also at
1: risk yes absolutely and so whenever we're talking about the middle ages that is a key consideration when people act
0: so leading up to the treaty. There are some papal bulls that are signed.
1: Yes, those papal bulls are in a way more important than the treaty themselves. Who was Pope Alexander VI? He is one of the most famous fascinating characters in the entire history of the Popes of Rome and Christian Church. And I could go on about him for hours. He's the greatest Renaissance Pope, in my opinion, but you could put him in a top list of almost any category you want in Popes. But more importantly for us today is that Alexander VI, that was his name he took upon becoming Pope. What he went by in Italy was Rodrigo Borgia. He was born in the Kingdom of Aragon, and his real name was Rodrigo de Borja. He was an Aragonese nobleman from around the area of Valencia, or Valencia, as they would say it now. And then his name was italicized as Borgia because he had lived in Italy for so long and was so intricately involved in Italian politics. What's interesting is Borgia at that time, he was really close personally to Isabella and Ferdinand. He knew them since they were teenagers, and he's in large part what allowed to get them married. He was the one who pushed that through politically and made that happen, even though the king of Castile, Enrique, wasn't super happy about it, and they really shouldn't have gotten married. He was the one who smoothed over a lot of things and actually got permission from the Pope at that time for that to happen. So that connection to Isabella and Ferdinand plays a critical role in our story today about the various treaties and papal bulls that happen. It just so happens that Ferdinand and Isabella are so faithful to Alexander VI. The fun fact is Alexander VI, Rodrigo Borges, his uncle was a pope, and then a later descendant through his son, who was the Duke of Gandia, would become a Jesuit saint of the church. So Pope
0: Alexander is responsible for signing a papal bull or several leading up to
1: the actual treaty of 1494? The papal bulls and the documents that come out in 1494, there's a bit of context before that. There's a papal bull that was signed in 1455 called Romanus Pontifex. A lot of these names of the papal bulls have, the title has really nothing directly to the content. So if you know Latin or you know something about bulls and later papal encyclicals, the title won't give you any clue to what the content of the document is. But anyways, this bull from 1455 gave the Portuguese writes of first discovery to everything up to the Cape of Baja Dor on the African coast. That's just south of the modern nation of Morocco and the Canary Island, so it's not terribly far down the African coast. And that shows you how small their discoveries were at this point, or how limited. Now, 1456, another pope, Pope Calixtus, reaffirmed those rights and extended it to all along the African coast. So he's kind of giving them the Portuguese full range, whatever you find along this African coast is yours to exploit. One thing I should note is in 1494, nobody who was anybody who knew anything about navigation or the sciences thought that the earth was flat. Nobody thought this, and nobody had really thought this for centuries and even millennia. Philosophers, scientists, theologians... They knew the earth was round since Greek times. It's really a modern myth that the medievals, quote unquote, thought that the earth was flat. It was really a piece of anti-Catholic mythology that was created in the 1800s. Um, One of the key people was the guy who wrote The Headless Horseman and Rip Van Winkle, Washington Irving. He wrote a book that he sold as a nonfiction book about the history of medieval Europe. I think he may have written it originally as a fiction book, but people took it as nonfiction. So he put, oh, the medieval Spanish thought that Columbus, they thought he was going to sail over the edge of the world. And all this stuff that he put in this book, it was all not true. Nobody thought that in the medieval times. Like medieval times, like hardcore, like dark ages, you go back, the Romans, the Greeks, nobody thought that.
0: Well, some of our listeners are probably asking themselves... Why aren't they talking about the French or the English or the Dutch? But the key thing to understand is that in 1492 and the early 1490s, the English and French and Dutch and other countries aren't really part of this age of discovery. It's mostly Portugal, and now Spain is getting into the game with Christopher Columbus. Columbus sails successfully and explores new territories, and that brings us up to the treaty that will basically divvy up all of these lands amongst these two emerging superpowers from the Iberian Peninsula. The treaty was signed in 1494. Who was it negotiated amongst and who
1: signed the treaty? The treaty was signed between Spain and Portugal. Technically, the people who are responsible for that were the kings and queens of each of those kingdoms. So Columbus, when he comes back, we don't know what Columbus really thought that he discovered. He went pretty much to his grave thinking that he had discovered the Indies. Most scholars in Europe at the time didn't think that he actually did get to India or a cafe or Chipangu or anything like that. But what they're really waiting for is when Columbus comes back from his second journey, they're waiting for more information to come in. The Portuguese and the Spanish are waiting. How far does he go? How many leagues does he travel? What can he figure out about longitude? What lands has he discovered? As soon as Columbus returns with all this new information, these previous treaties and bulls, like the Treaty of Alcasobas, they were in tatters, was this new a- land area part of Portugal's area of, in- of exclusive exploitation. Ferdinand and Isabella, they had to act really quickly. So what do they do? They go directly to their dear old friend, Pope Alexander VI. He's the pope now. They were able to get Alexander to issue a series of papal bulls, and the most important one was called Intercatera, which was signed on May 3rd in 1493, and then an addendum to that bull, which was actually written in the summer of 1493, but was backdated to May 4th of 1493, so one day after the original Intercaterra was signed. This new bull of Intercaterra granted Spain a monopoly over their newly discovered lands. Initially, though, Columbus's discoveries didn't look very promising. He didn't really find a ton of gold or silver in the Caribbean, just tiny amounts. The spices and flora and fauna that he brought back were not the pepper and cumin and cardamom, et cetera, like those types of things that people were really excited. As a matter of fact, like what we call chili peppers, like habaneros and jalapenos, they were named peppers. They were called peppers by Columbus as a marketing ploy because they were spicy and it gave him something to come home. and He was like, oh, look, at, look at this new kind of pepper I found. <laughs> even though they're completely unrelated to pepper, as in the black pepper. So this intercaterra papal bull created a new line of demarcation between Spain's area of control and the Portuguese line of control. As a matter of fact, these papal bulls didn't even mention Portugal. You would only know that they were talking about Portugal through inference they affirmed the doctrine of the right to first discovery. So that really helped Portugal too. So the Spanish couldn't lay claim to something that the Portuguese had discovered and the Portuguese couldn't lay claim to something that say the Spanish discovered, but it also locked out all the other powers at the time, the French, the Holy Roman Empire, the English. And these are all Catholic countries at this point. You don't have France that has a huge Huguenot contingency. You don't have England that that is, Turns into a Protestant country. They're all Catholic, and it completely cuts them out of this whole new age of discovery under the, the threat of excommunication.
0: The attitude towards these papal bulls and the treaty that other governments had was expressed by Francis, the King of France, who declared, The sun shines for me as it does for others. I would very much like to see the clause of Adam's will by which I should be denied my share of the world.
1: I think that's a great quote because it shows the thought at that time. England tries a couple of early voyages of discovery that don't really go anywhere. France has a couple of early ones, I'm talking like in the early 1500s, that don't lead to very much. And they're still at this time, they're really under this threat of excommunication. And the threat of excommunication brings with them the threat of being not only cut out of the spiritual trade of Europe, but also the political trade of Europe.
0: The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth Let's get back to the treaty and look at it from a technical point of view. How was the world or the known world divided by this treaty that was signed by representatives of Portugal and Spain?
1: The original 1493 line from Intercaterra made the line 100 leagues west of the Cape Verde islands. What they said was the 46th degree longitude. Problem was they didn't really precisely know what a degree of longitude was. So there was a lot of flex in what that is. A hundred leagues would have been approximately 555, if you want to be precise, kilometers or about 350-ish miles west of the Cape Verde Islands.
0: Okay, Steve, so now let's get into the details and the nitty-gritty of the Treaty of Tordesillas.
1: Okay so that was signed in June 7th of 1494 the negotiations that started earlier in the spring of 1494 and they are waiting to learn what had occurred during Columbus's second voyage really at this point in 1494 they're waiting with bated breath about what Columbus is learning from his second voyage the portuguese they were bargaining from a bad position the pope was against them and they weren't strong enough militarily to take on Spain if it came to that point. The Treaty of Tordesillas moved the demarcation line a few hundred miles west of the Intercaterra line. The Treaty of Tordesillas was affirmed by a papal bull a qua pro bono pacis, which wasn't actually signed until about a decade later in 1506, but that moved the line further west about 900 miles. Portugal claimed that they needed that extra breathing space to get around to their new African and Indian holdings, so they didn't want to say, oh, wait, we accidentally went into the Spanish territory and be under the threat of excommunication or be considered pirates so that Spain could claim their ships. That's at least their negotiating position. It's possible, though, that João or John II was trying to get the best deal he could at that conference. And João may have, uh, how do you say, like sandbagged or held back on some information at the conference to protect what the new Brazil discovery, Brazil wasn't officially discovered until about 1500, but it's a possibility that they knew about Brazil as early as then and wanted to get the line moved over as far as they could so that that little section of South America could be claimed by them at a later point. Like I said, Ra was not in a great position at that conference, and he also had the worry that he might be invaded by Castile and Aragon. So through this Treaty of Tordesillas, he was able to protect the Spice Islands, Malacca, India and their African trade, which at least in the 1490s was exponentially more lucrative than what the Spanish trade was with the West Indies. So like what the Portuguese held in real Indies in India and in Indonesia was just a much better thing for them economically. So he wanted to do everything that he could do to protect that.
0: Portugal and Spain seem to have negotiated and signed the treaty without consulting the Pope. Why do some call the resulting line the papal line of demarcation?
1: Like we had said earlier, the various papal bulls were actually more important than the treaty itself. The bulls were what made those treaties legal and enforceable, so they needed the Pope's stamp of approval to make a treaty official. It is called the papal demarcation because the papal bulls are what gave that treaty legitimacy. Thus, uh, that series of papal bulls, including Intercatera in 1493, and then um, the one done by Julius II, are really what got the whole ball rolling of an idea of a demarcation line.
0: Doctors endorse it, nutritionists recommend it, and customers love it. Calotrin Healthy Weight Loss. Ron in Texas lost 35 pounds. Marie in Pennsylvania lost 117 pounds with Calotrin. Diane not only lost weight, but she also found relief from arthritis. Lynn lost over 45 pounds. Calotrin contains collagen, the most abundant protein naturally occurring in the human body, which decreases as we age. Taking Calotrin promotes better sleep Again, text HISTORY, that's H-I-S-T-O-R-Y, using the code 30605.
1: Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49, perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary, cannot be combined with any other offer. ba da ba
0: Join us next time for the final part of this special conversation. Check out the YouTube version of this episode, which has accompanying visuals, including maps, charts, timelines, photos, illustrations, and diagrams. I'm Mark Vinette, and I hope you're enjoying the ride. Thank you.